On Carlo Aulino, we don't have Mike Babcock in the studio this week. Damn. Uh, the streak has been, it's done. You know, it's been, what, two straight weeks with Mike Babcock coming in here looking all red-faced, very emotional, and uh, I guess he could kindly, he could finally have a break and go fishing. You know, the, the, it's icy up there, but he can definitely catch a fish or two. But this is episode 60. We're going to start talking about a monster trade that happened yesterday. We all saw it coming. Maybe not to Arizona. I was hint- I thought it was maybe Colorado. Goes to Arizona. What are your guys' thoughts on the initial – what were your initial reactions? You guys surprised of Taylor Hall leaving? He kind of – I think he kind of mailed it in the beginning of the year. You're just watching him and it's just – he he phased – like, you know, he knew he was getting traded. You just look at his, his reaction, his face. He, he just knew. And do you guys agree with him going to Arizona? Do you think it's the right destination for him if – he were to pursue a cup this year? Uh, to pursue a cup? We'll see about that. Uh, I wasn't surprised with the trade, but uh, to the team, yeah. I just didn't think Arizona would make a big splash like that. But then when you really dive into it, it makes a lot of sense. They have a ton of prospects to give up, and they're on the rise to becoming a really good team. So Taylor Hall, I don't know if it, it pushes them over the edge a little bit. We'll, we'll see what uh, you can do there. It's exciting. Yeah, just... Arizona looks like an exciting team now. Got Kessel. They went after him in the summer, brought him, and didn't think that they go after now Taylor Hall. So that's two big pieces to have. And Kessel in the playoffs, he'll play off performer. So Taylor Hall, I don't even think he's played in the playoffs, but he's going to get that opportunity in Arizona. So he's going to get that experience under his belt. I think this team could maybe make a run when in Delta. It's funny because when people asked him, what, what, are you happy to go to Arizona? He says, Yes, I am. They have great defense. They have two unreal goaltenders. And he said, with those two things, you can win a Stanley Cup. Are you guys all in with this Arizona net-minding duo? I know Pinello is. I'm still kind of on the fence with it because I'm not really – I don't really know them that well. I don't know Ranta enough. I know that he had that great year in, with New York – 2014-15 Kemper has been a third string goalie for like three four years battling where Minnesota a couple other teams but yeah now these guys are I guess really solid goalies in the league I guess they could carry them and then Taylor Hall thinks so but yeah do you guys think Arizona could really go like I don't know if I could see them beating a team like like a Nashville but even though Nashville's I don't even think they're in the playoffs right now um but the West right now is pretty funny. I never thought in a million years we'd be seeing Arizona make a blockbuster deal, but it's kindly, it's it's finally come. But, guys, I have to ask you this next question. With Taylor Hall coming to this team, what are your next thoughts about Clayton Keller's game? I think he needs to step it up because now he's got two guys there on the wing. If he can go in that first-line center position, they got the Vorex slotted in there now. But if he goes in there... This is his opportunity, playing around two unbelievable guys like that. This team is looking good. Keller now is going to benefit from that, his points. And Kessel might get going now. Hall can get going. And they got some exciting young pieces also coming up. So they didn't even give up their two top prospects, which is also good. So they're positioned well. I am not worried about Keller at all. Like you're playing in Arizona. You're already flying under the radar. Now you're playing behind Kessel and Hall, and you can really just go out there and play your game and you're, you're not relied on the, as much anymore you know you got the long deal already so I think Clayton Keller signing that contract is 
that's very big for Arizona hockey because, like, you don't see many guys signing eight-year extensions on a team like that uh, just getting drafted. So I think those three going forward, if they if they can get Hall locked up, would be just awesome for that community. Do you think, uh, do you think Clayton Keller – because I, I've watched him the last three years. He's already been in the league for three years. Four years ago, he was considered arguably the greatest prospect in hockey going into the 17th season. I'm not going to say he's been a disappointment, but I remember his rookie year. He actually came in with all the hype, and he, he, he delivered. He had 60-plus points in Arizona. You usually don't do that in a market there. But the last two years for me, I don't know what's what's happened. I guess he hasn't found chemistry with Stepan or Schmaltz or he even had Dylan Strom for a bit. He, he couldn't get any mojo with them. But Clayton Keller to me, guys, when I look at the way he can play, 80 points is not out of the question. Now you, you add a Taylor Hall. I think uh, this this contract could be an absolute steal if everything clicks with uh, Clayton Keller. Because, again, I know a lot of people compare guys I see Clayton Keller's game kind of translating like a Patrick Kane. He's that skilled, and um, if he can put it all together, who knows what he could even do for a guy like a Nick Schmaltz and a Phil Kessel later on in his career. So it's fun for Arizona, but now we got to talk more about the New Jersey side of things. They didn't get Victor Soderstrom. They didn't get Barrett Hayden. They didn't even get a guy like a Chikrin. We all know he's not available, but what were your guys' thoughts on the prospects they got? I thought maybe they could have got a little bit better. But who's the standout? Is it Kevin Ball or is it Nick Merkley in your eyes? I, I thought it was Nick Merkley, but <laughs> you guys were telling me before we went on about this Ball guy. He's a fucking tree, six seven two forty or something like that. Yeah, he's, he's a monster. <laughs> uh, I know it's I know it's only a rental, but for them not to get at least one of the top two prospects for me is kind of a failure. They got a lot of pieces, but I'm not diminishing what they got back. They got like five pieces back for a guy that was gonna walk for nothing anyway so uh for the devils like it's i don't it's it's weird now because they got they got so many pieces there already locked up but at the same time you don't know if they're all in or if they're like they're retooling or what's going on here i think this was just a messy situation with hall and they're gonna stick to their process i think it was a smart move because they didn't take any roster players so you're having three prospects one like ball who's amazing like highly touted on defense so if your team ends up clicking and everyone does good you can even trade some of those prospects that you got maybe the draft pick and go after a big piece so i think it adds to their prospect pool and in case they want to make a run at someone they got the options to do that i mean they've you could basically say that this season for the devils has been a complete disaster we we could we could we could all (laughs) we could all we could all agree uh, I remember this offseason when we were doing our podcast, I said that the Devils were ar- arguably a bubble team, adding Subban, Jack Hughes coming into the lineup. They even got a guy like a Wayne Simmons this offseason. But nothing has clicked, nothing. P.K. Subban, I could sit here all day and talk about how awful he's been. He has five points, and he's been a minus like 15, and I just don't know what's happening. He's been one of my favorite defensemen since, since the 2010s, since the beginning of the decade. Subban has been up there for me, and just seeing him struggle so much is just so concerning. And the fact that he went from Montreal to Nashville, and he was doing pretty well in Nashville, but again, you know, a little bit of injuries. And then he goes to New Jersey for Shea Weber, one for one. And it, it was like, or no, sorry, Nashville to Montreal was one for one. And then he goes to New Jersey and it's like, you get you get P.K. Subban. 
that's a big time move. And even guys like Nico Heischer, they have not developed at least how I envisioned. I think everything going into the year, I don't think anyone had more buzz than the Devils because they got Jack Hughes. They it had, was it uh, was either them or the Rangers. Yeah, yeah they had Heischer going into his third year, and the third year is like some magical fucking breakthrough. Everyone, it, it usually it well if you're a first overall pick, it usually yeah. is. That's usually the year. And he was trending to do that too. He had a solid first two years. They got Subban coming in. They got Simmons for some depth. They got like Coleman and Boykfist, like nice depth guys. And like you just said, nothing clicked, and it's baffling to watch Subban even, play. Even when you look at the developments of the prospects, like Nico Heischer came in his rookie year. Taylor Hall was his winger for majority of the season, and he won the Hart Trophy. And Nico Heischer had 50 points. He looked great. But again, the third year for any first overall pick, that's the year usually where it's like, okay, so you had a sophomore slump. You get out of it, and you become the star player. We haven't seen that from Nico Heischer yet. I know he's a great 200-foot player, great on both ends of the ice. Again, Jack Hughes coming in first overall. You're small. They had no business winning the lottery both times getting Heischer and Hughes. They get them, and they just have been flat out, I won't say disappointing, but they haven't been the centers that I envisioned them to be. And even John Hines getting fired earlier on in the season, I thought that was kind of mind-boggling. Ray Sherrill, to me, is a top-10 GM in this league. It just hasn't worked out for him right now. But hopefully this Taylor Hall thing could start a trend for the Devils because, you know, we've watched the Devils be in the playoffs for so many years. From, like, what, 1999 to 2010, it's been always the Devils in the playoffs. I want to see that again. I'm hoping the Devils to be successful, and hopefully this trade can start something for them. I think they're stuck, though, with Corey Schneider, his contract. Unless they buy it out. But if they buy it out, they're going to pay the guy for like eight years or six years at half his salary. So it doesn't do them any favors. So I think their hands are tied. That's another trade where you went all in and it was a right move for them at the time. You know, for the time, they were they were kind of contenders. They just came off going to the Stanley Cup Finals. Let's go get Corey Schneider, one of the better goaltenders in the league at the time. I thought he was one of the more consistent goalies you trade Bo Horvat or the right for Bo Horvat it kind of bites him in the ass now that you think about it Bo Horvat could have been that number one center he's he's pretty come on man he's he's the captain now of Vancouver he's he's freaking solid he could have been that number one center in New Jersey but it's a business you gotta you gotta sometimes you gotta risk it and they risked it and unfortunately Corey Schneider's game kind of like a Lundquist kind of like a Jonathan Quick it's kind of just fallen off and uh, I'm not going to say Blackwood's the future of the of the Devils, but the, what what he was starting already at 21 years of age, kind of like what a Carter Hart type situation, second round. Didn't really know what I, I remember. I, I when he got drafted, I, I was not happy that they drafted Blackwood. I, I'll never forget that. I told him, I said, why Blackwood? We have Schneider. Don't need him. I guess it's kind of happy we got Blackwood because Schneider just fell off. But this team to me needs to change something. They, really. Uh, it shows you how different both teams are because the first thing Taylor Hall said was you have two capable goaltenders and we're willing to go far. Exactly. It's kind of a low-key shot at yeah. the team he was just on. So And Court Schneider. It's probably like, yeah, he kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and it's crazy because I just said the starting lineups for both teams and we basically agreed saying, okay, well, the Devils sound like the better defense corps. It sounds better, but Subban's just been horrid. Andy Green shouldn't – I don't think he should be in the league anymore. That's just my opinion. Zaversen's been a disappointment. Votnin. Those are all, like, 
they're more offensive players though I think that's where they screwed up. They they don't have that defensive guy. And if it's supposed to be Mirko Mueller, it's not Mirko Mueller. So maybe you have to make a big time trade. Maybe try and go for a Pareko. Try and get someone like that caliber, a 2AD that can play both ends. How long's that name's, uh, how long has he been out there for? I've been hearing his name like three years in a row. I mean, the only reason why I put his name out there is because he's probably the most expendable out of all of them. You have Vince Dunn there who's now... To me, he's probably better than Pareko now. Well, their captain is looking yeah. like he's on the way out. It's pretty. It's pretty funny to say that. And I remember I was watching. Uh, Le- it was either Leafs lunch or something else, and it was pretty damn true. It's like who wants to go in all in long term on a marketed defenseman that's over thirty years or just about thirty years old? Like it's a good point, right? Like, are yeah. you actually going all in seven years for a Petrangelo? Probably not. I think it depends on the situation you're in. I mean, I don't think I would sign him seven years at his age 30 season. I don't think I would do that. I think San Jose is a good example. In that. With Burns? Eric yeah. Carlson coming there. Even given all the injuries and they still made that deal because of the player he is. I feel like San Jose, though, again, they're in a different spot. You look at their D. <laughs> yeah, they kind of they kind of had to sign Carlson to that. Like who, who? They don't have anyone else in the system. Mario Ferraro, Ryan Merkley, but and other than that, it's a bit of a that's literally off. it. Yeah. So I, I mean, Eric Carlson kind of had to sign there. Smart move for them, but yeah, I think the Devils, when it comes to Kevin Ball coming back, I think Ray Sherrill really looks at this guy and he's like, "That's the defensive D that we've actually been looking for." That's my only. That's why I think they got Kevin Ball and not like a Victor Soderstrom. And, of course, the return would have been a lot more probably. They probably would have asked for a lot more. Is Trika now like short-term kind of thing, like executive of the year? Is he in the running of that? He has to be. Yeah, you, trade, you trade Galchenyuk away. Uh, he was – I'm not saying he's a bust. I'm not saying he's a terrible player. It's just he's been in limbo since that almost that point per game season and when he had that point per game season me and this guy were thrilled we're like okay he's finally coming around he can finally be that number one center on montreal and then it just again like i said limbo that's for me that's the one word that describes galchenyuk limbo he hasn't elevated his game hasn't really declined either but the fact that chica got rid of him and got phil kessel and then you're now getting Taylor Hall. You've gotten great guys. Like, you drafted Chikrin. That's a steal. He went, what, 17th overall? 16th? That's that's a that's a steal for me. And, of course, you, you trade Dylan Strom. Again, that kind of looks a little bad for Chika, but you add a guy like a, a Nick Schmaltz. And then you sign him long-term. You've he, you got to remember, he's locked up Nick Schmaltz and Clayton Keller quietly. Like, no one really talks about those contracts. And in, like, let's say three years, what if they become the next big duo? Let's just say everything clicks and they become, like, a Sagan and – okay, not Sagan and Ben. They're definitely not those type of players. But, you know, like a like a Nylander Matthews. Okay, they won't, they won't be like that. <laughs> they're, but they're their own players. Like a Michael Reinhardt. Their own players but elite, elite – you know, an elite duo. No one talks about those contracts. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think Chaika should be in that running for – executive of the year but again they're probably going to give it to david Poyle because they always give it to him on nashville how pissed is shane doan looking at this like what the fuck i was there carrying and you get the best they did in the past was get rafi torres shane doan mike smith who else 
uh, Jeremy Roenick, Keith Kachuk. They're all yeah. shaking their heads they're right like, now. Where, where was this? Like 10 years ago. Keith Yandel's another name you can kind of argue. <laughs> I think they're loving it. <laughs> That's a, oh, come on. Arizona, It's a, I think they're happy for them. Rattenberg. It's a long time coming. It's a lo- Yeah, I agree. It's a love-hate. Like yeah. They love it and they hate it. It's like, oh, what if I was playing with a guy like yeah. a, Clay, like, a skilled oh, guy like a Keller? It's like, it would have been nice, but I'm happy I get to at least witness it. Yeah. I mean, for Shane Doan, I think he'd be a little more furious because he stayed there yeah. for That's one years, maybe. <laughs> it's like, you know what? Maybe I can go to a contest. No, you know, we're a playoff team. We're, we're in the conference final against the Kings. Got we'll a see. young OEL back there. We got this. The year of the lockout, he had like 12 offers. I'm going to stay in Arizona. <laughs> Guys like that, why I love the Arizona Coyotes. I hope this is a uh, turning of the chapter for them. Well, talk about turning of the chapter. Uh, The decade is coming to an end. 2010 to 2019 is basically done for sports. And we're going to start it off with the top 10 or the sorry, the top five leaps of the decade. And the guys, these. I, I mean, I really hope Steve Dangle watches this or listens to this because the 2010s for the Leafs is basically this team is ruining my life. That for when I think of my this team is ruining my life, when you think of the narrative of Steve Dangle, I think of 2010 to 2015. That's that's what I think of. Or you could get really creative and you could do the 2004 to the 2013 but that's not in our video. We were doing 2010 to 2019. So with that being said, I got to start this list off with Pinello. Pinello, oh. who is starting this beautiful list? Hold on. Are we doing honorable mentions? We're first? doing yeah, honorable mentions. mentions. Of course. You oh, gotta... God. All right. This is going to be messy. <laughs> to start it off, I got Nikolai Kuhleman <laughs> as an honorable mention. Uh, wow. Second round pick of the Leafs, one of our very few homegrown talents around that time. Uh, just a solid two-way slash power forward goal-scoring machine for like fucking two years. But uh, yeah, I loved Kuleman. I said a lot of Mikheyev in him. So that that type of player, I kind of miss him. You wanna, when you look back on the last 10 years, he's one of the very few guys I miss because it's a short list. <laughs> oh my, very short. <laughs> Uh, I'll give you two more. I got Joffrey Lupel here. Oh my God! Because uh, uh, yeah, he's not, he's not on the top five, boys. No. <laughs> I have five honorable mentions. I'll mention them after. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Joffrey Lupel. Like realistically, when we got him, he, like so many injuries already, wasn't supposed to play. It was just uh, take it and we'll see if he plays or not. And then he had like two sixty-point years with us. He yeah. actually had like two years, like point per game almost. Yeah, so it's uh, it's kind of hard to yeah. not mention his name. One more, Clark MacArthur. I like it. I gotta mention Clarky. Uh, him, Grabo, and Cooley was probably the best second line for a while. Wow. In the league. It's that going, brings uh, it back. Holy shit. Yeah, it, um, Clarky was. A, was I, I thought he was one of the most consistent players. And this is this next line's gonna be so bad. One of the most consistent Leaf players I've seen in my life. That's true. In well, my life. <laughs> <laughs> Just a solid two way player. Uh, I forgot Buddy popped him in Ottawa and then his career was done. Yeah. But even that. when he went to Ottawa he was meshing with tourists. I'm like, this is it for him. He's a solid player. At late bloomer. It started with the Leafs. Yeah. But uh, those those are my honorable mentions. <laughs> oh, I love it. Kuhlman, Lupul, and MacArthur. <laughs> Damn, that's a start. Oh, my. All right, this is going to 
honorable, like a double honorable mention before the honorable. I got Thomas Cabriolet. Wow, at the end of the, what was he, 2010? And then they traded him to like Boston and he won the cup. So he was there for 13 years and to see him start the decade and then go on to win a cup. That's pretty that's, special. That's a double honorable. But the honorable mentions I got, Nikolai Kuhlman, <laughs> 30 goal scorer, JVR. Oh, wow, okay. And on defense, Dion Phaneuf. Hey, hey, we let's not laugh. We'll, we got to show Dion some love. Now, I'm going to say my honorable mentions, and you guys are going to be like, that's not fucking fair. This, sh- this shouldn't be a thing. My number – my okay, so I basically did 10, but I'm just going to list these, I guess, five as the honorable mentions. James Reimer, to me, yeah. is an honorable mention because – as funny as it sounds, the lockout season was kind of fulfilling to me because we made – first, okay, we made the playoffs. That was something that should not have happened. We should have gotten a guy like a Nathan McKinnon or a Monaghan that year, but oh, instead Freddy we got up. a Freddie to go. Um, James Reimer carried us to the playoffs that year. And as many people highlight Kadri's year that year, I highlight Reimer's the most. And the fact that he was with this team for seven straight years, and no one remembers, but I vividly do, in the 2010 season, he carried us, he played 35 games, a 921 save at the tender age of 21 years old. So the hype, for me alone, puts James Reimer on that list at number 10. Another guy I have in my honorable mentions, Dion Phaneuf. He was here for seven years, and he was arguably a top 10, yes, I'm saying it, a top 10 defenseman on his way to the Toronto Maple Leafs. So the hype was there. He got handed the captaincy. One of the best leaders, at least maybe not from. It's hard to say he's like one of the best leaders of all time because it's kind of far-fetched. But, man, he was here for, what, seven, eight seasons. He he was in a, a league when penalties actually mattered, and he would do that, and he was a nice enforcer. Not the best point producer, but damn, he was a great leader. And, of course, another honorable mention I got to say. I got to put Freddie Anderson in there as one of the best leaps because, again, he's already he's already passed he's already passed Reimer for, for, for games. And he's already at a 9-18 save in his career with the Leafs. And he's already at, what, like 100-plus wins with the Leafs, which is just absolutely absurd. But now we got to start the top five list. And uh, Pinello, I'm going to pass this one to you. Let's try not to laugh as much, but uh, let's get this one going. There it is. Number five, Freddie Anderson. There it is. Uh, I had to put him in there because he's the only goalie that I've seen from the Leafs. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, he's one of the few guys who came in with hype and actually delivered. And it might not be fair because he's, well, I don't know, was his third year with us, third, fourth year? Uh, I think this is his fourth. Yeah, so and he's he's still in his late twenties. Um, out of all the stars that are on the team right now, like if Freddie, if there's any other goalie, if you just take any average goalie and put him in that spot, we're we're not that relevant. No. <laughs> so uh, Freddie saves a lot of games for the Leafs. I have to put him in here. Yeah, he's the goalie of the future. Love him. Everyone loves Freddie. Number five for me. For me, it was uh, I was debating whether to put Reimer or Freddie. I go with Freddie at number five just because of the games played and success he's had. He's always in the discussion of maybe getting a Vesna nomination, maybe even winning the Vesna every year. Reimer didn't, even though he had like a few great seasons. But uh, without Frederick Anderson in that, 
this team is looking bad. It's looking rough back there because of all the shots he has to take each game, all the saves he has to make. So Freddie Anderson, number five. Now, before I start it with mine, I mean, again, a couple honorable mentions I had. They're going to be in the 2020s list 100%. It's Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. I had to have them in the top 10 in the 2010s. It's it's kind of funny to say they've played like four seasons both respect, respectively. But guess what? Austin Matthews already has 130 goals. And that's probably like top 20 all time already for Leafs all time. And this kid's actually a freak. We, ha- we haven't seen anybody be around a point per game since Matt Sundin. And the fact with Marner... And Matthew's doing that alone. I have him in the top 10. So, But I'm going to start with my number five. Tyler Bozak is uh, my number five. He played 594 games with this team. And he came in, he came out of college, and a lot of people didn't really know a lot about Tyler Bozak. There was a lot of hype behind him. He comes in, probably one of the best third-line centers the Leafs have probably ever had. It's funny because he was playing first line for majority of that but man his his he was just amazing with JVR and and Phil Kessel for I'll say what the 3 4 years they were together Tyler Bozak for me one of the most underrated Leafs of all time he uh, tallied uh, 365 points in 594 games uh, I think he went undrafted which is also another pretty cool story Tyler Bozak also just won a cup I'm so happy for him he is he, he's also one of those guys that come came to the Leafs and he was just one of those guys that absolutely adored the city and the fans. And when it when he left, it actually kind of hurt. It stung a bit. So for me, he's number five, Tyler Bozak. Number four was tough because <laughs> I'm going through every season. I'm like, you got to have some criteria here. I can't do it for a one-year rental. Went with Nazem Kadri. Was there the road. Uh, Ron Wilson, uh, they had their differences of what he thought of him. Then Randy Carlyle came in, gave him more of an opportunity. And then uh, Mike Babcock, we saw what he did with Nazem Kadri. And Kadri has had to adapt to all these systems. He continued to progress as a player and performer in different roles. I have him at four just because of what he did in the playoffs each year when you need him. And it's always a suspension here, a suspension there. He would have been higher on the list if he kept his cool. Maybe got us through one round, but I got Nazem Kadri, number four. Number four, James Van Riemsdyk, who we traded Luke Shen to acquire, <laughs> which is honestly my favorite part of his entire career. The fact that we, uh, <laughs> at the time, it was it was a very big trade because there were two 21, 22-year-olds at the time. Still two a lot of big what-ifs. Yeah, and JVR <laughs> was rocked with injuries the year before. Shen was like, good year, bad year, good year, bad year. So there were still kind of uh, Question questions there. But, you know, JVR with us, like the injuries disappeared. <laughs> I think he got injured once in six yeah. years with us. Yeah, one year. Uh, consistent 25 to 30 goal score. It gets 50 to 60 every year. Um, I love JVR. We can really use a guy like that now, just a big, skilled power forward who plays in front of the net. I think he's ageless, and he'll do what he's doing for another six, seven years. Yeah, uh, number four is JVR as well. He came to the Leafs for Luke Shen alone. At the time, I was like, yeah, that's that's great. Uh, again, two big what-if players in this generation and in this, in this decade, but JVR, of course, has surpassed Luke Shen, obviously. But he, he's played a 413 games with the Leafs, and when I look at that, that's, that's saying a lot because Luke Shen barely played with Philly, and... 
he was our secondary leading. Okay, he was the second best scorer on the Leafs for three of the six years he was here. And yeah, he had just one year where he got injured. And I remember in the lockout year, he had 18 goals in 44 games tied with Kadri. Kessel had 20 that year. And then, of course, JVR, he put up a couple 30 goal back to back 30 goal years with the Leafs. You don't do that all that often, especially in Toronto. You don't see it a lot. And yeah, JVR, again, a lot of people bash him for his gameplay. Some games he would show up, others he wouldn't. But for the most part, he was beloved in Toronto. He's number four on my list. Number three, Austin Matthews. Uh, he did play a majority of the decade when you think about it with the Leafs since he got drafted. First overall, came in with a lot of hype. First game, scores four goals. First season, rookie of the year, 40-goal year. And then what you've seen, he's a face of the team. I don't care if Tavares is a captain. Matthews is the face of the franchise. He's on the video games. He's the marketable guy. Tavares is just shaking hands, kissing babies, and... Uh, making promo videos on uh, YouTube and the Leafs thing. So I think Matthews, it's his team, and it's gonna, just going to carry over in the next decade. Number three, Nazem fucking Kadri. I, lo- I just love everything about his story and the way he came up. I don't, I've never seen a player with so many ups and downs in my life. Uh, he came in with all the skill in the world, and there were a lot of things that he had to change, and we didn't know if he could play at the NHL level, and then he showed over time that he has that physical edge and really turned into that two-way skilled centerman that Berkey thought he would turn into. So he played 10 years with us. 10. 10 underrated years. Like when we first traded him, we're like, holy shit, we drafted him in 09. So he's been here for a long time. Uh, We've seen him grow. Like he was a star in the Marlies, and we're like, oh, is he going to make the jump? And then it transitioned well, and he's been a mainstay with us for a while. So wish him well in Colorado, and he's at number three. Yeah. Number three is Nazem Kadri. And again, me and Pinello, we are doing this routine, same list again. It's usually how it goes. Kadri is third for me. And the only reason why he's third and not like an Austin Matthews is, again, you got to look at the tenor. He's played 561 games with the Leafs. That that takes a toll. And when he got traded, I literally cried. I'll, I'll never forget it at first. We got Barry. We got Kerfoot. I was very happy. But then I'm thinking about it and it's like, you got to remember the memories with Kadri, and there were just so many. Like, I remember I went to the playoff game, and Kadri decked Marshawn, and I just lost my shit. That's a memory I'll never forget. And Kadri, every time he used to deck Gallagher, I just, you always used to get very, very excited, very amped up. He was just the guy that you loved on your team. And now that I see Nazem Kadri on another team, it just, it just, you look at that, and it's a big what if, because I really wanted him to be with this team. And if, God forbid if the Leafs were to ever win a Stanley Cup, I really wanted to see Nazem Kadri on that team. And it's unfortunate that he had to get suspended those two straight playoffs. And Alino, you know, it, it hurts Alino to, to bring it up, but it, it's a part of the game. That's the, that's the thing I loved about Naz. No one brought that edge like he did. And you could criticize him for getting suspended, but he would go out of his way and he would do that for his teammates and that's just saying so much for him as a character. And Brian Burke saw a lot out of him. I know he wanted Brandon Chen. He got Nazem Kadri instead. And quite frankly, for me, that's not a consolation prize. Nazem Kadri, to me, is number three on the list. And if he was still on the team, he could potentially be higher. Number two, a man who Berkey thought we had him first overall. And Bettman laughed with that bobblehead. Yeah, okay. Morgan Riley, number two. You saw what this guy, coming into that draft, what he did. He was hurt. 
still goes high. And you look at everybody in front of them, where their careers have gone, right down the shitter. And Morgan Riley is just an unbelievable player right now for the Leafs. Still to this day, he's been one of the most high impactful players. A bright spot for the team when they're bad. Long term, you can still see him rocking that blue uniform many years to come. Lifting trophies, hopefully. But his offensive game has really taken off since he's been drafted. Every year, no matter where they put him in the lineup, he's made the most of every opportunity. And he still continues to be a focal point. So he's my number two. Number two, Phil Kessel. Multiple 30-goal seasons with the Leafs. Acquired him in a controversy. The two first-round picks. It didn't start off well. Didn't start off well, no. Not at all. But uh, everything that was asked of Phil, he came in. Put up 30 every year, 50 to 60 points. He had a couple 80-point years with us. Uh, yeah, he was he was our main scorer for a very long time, and he was relied on with, you know, guys that uh guys like Bozak and and Lupul, and you thought, oh, maybe if he had a certain guy, we'd be pushed over into the playoffs. But you know, he he did what he worked with what he could for all those years, and he was a star with us for a while. I have a Phil Castle jersey. We're all we're all on that bandwagon. Uh, you gotta love Phil. Everyone loves him now more than ever since the two cups, and he's just a. Uh, He's a solid name in the NHL. He's, he's really, I think he's going in the Hall of Fame in time. Oh, me too. I'm with you, <laughs> the guy's a beauty. The, see, number two is Phil Kessel, too, and we have the same list. Four to one is the same, and it's just, it just we think the same. I don't know what it is. Phil Kessel, I only put him number two, not one, because, again, we're thinking of 2010s here. He led the Leafs for five straight years, 2010 to 2015, Phil Kessel was the guy. Kessel, 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 Kessel. He had 64, 82, 82, 64, 82, and then 52 in the lockout. Then 82 again, and then like 64. So, Phil, if you think about it, as bad as that trade was, him coming to the Leafs and how controversial and how monumental it was, he he delivered. By all means, he delivered. He he put up 394 and 446. That's almost a point a game. Again, he was that type of p- player. Offensively, you could argue he replaced Matt Sundin. And we could laugh about that, saying that, but it's damn true, man. He, he led the team for five straight years in points. And you can make fun of him. It's Phil Kessel, blah, blah, blah. He's a milk bag, all this, that, the other. But when it came down to it scoring, he never disappointed. And uh, he was a part of really bad leaves. So I got to give him respect. He's my number two, and we all know Alino's number one. David Clarkson. Nah, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, definitely Phil Kessel. And you brought it up there about the trade. Let's go over that trade with Tyler Sagan. Where did he end up going after Dallas? Shortly after, where did he win in Dallas? I haven't heard his name. <laughs> you know what Phil Kessel did? Played every single game. 82 games a year, fit whatever it was in the lockout. Every single game, doesn't take a break. Even if he's hurt, he still played like a warrior. Playoff performer, point per game. Every single year, how shit that team was. Every year. He still made that team exciting. Every year. Goals, 30 each year. 30. And he would (laughs) laugh. That anchor, a fucking loophole. He carried him to 66 and 65. (laughs) You know how good you have to be to do that. I mean, he got picked last in the All-Star game, and Lupo was the captain. 
I've that, that, that for me that for me that's the most backwards thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like okay, what what was that? Twenty eleven. Oh, you got your years mixed up. Was that twenty oh, eleven? Yeah, you're after. They traded. Say again. They did the trade. Damn, but still, like when I remember, Lupo has an A in an All Star game. <laughs> what? Like I'm thinking about that now, and I'm like, hey, I'm not that old, but like the fact that I'm thinking about that is absurd that's bad that's absurd no and the fact that kessel was picked last kessel is the reason i agree with elino kessel's the reason lupo was a point of game player in toronto not saying he was bad lupo i'm just saying kessel was a god and let's not forget <laughs> who we, uh the player he made james john reams like made him the player that he is and then after that of course babcock comes in maybe he was jealous of phil he's like oh this guy doesn't work out he's this good what the hell's going on here i think he was jealous pushed him out leafs are paying 1.2 million so you can technically say phil kessel's still on the leafs still performing and he got two back-to-back cups in pittsburgh one for each middle finger like Kawhi was saying how he got a inscribed thing kessel has two now one for each middle finger he can flip the bird to both shanahan babcock whoever he wants he could eat all the hot dogs he wants he too. could all the media members that try to push him out but they wish they had Phil Kessel back in town, scoring goals and making stuff exciting and giving some writing material. So Phil Kessel, for me, the leaf of the decade. If I'm if I'm reaching out for someone and wanting the Leafs to acquire somebody when their career winds down, it's Phil Kessel. Because you look at how his career just took off in Toronto. We knew he was good in Boston. But when he came to Toronto, he made himself a name in this league. And it's just so funny talking about Phil Kessel, like an icon that he is. Two cups. One of the greatest Leafs of all time. I mean, in in our lifetime. (laughs) I mean, you can't compare him to Johnny Bauer and Boria Salming and all those names. It's a tricky game. It's a tricky game. You can't compare decades. But if we're looking at this decade... Just look at what the the Sharks just did with Marlowe. They brought him back. Wouldn't you – you're not tell, you're telling me you wouldn't want a 37, 36-year-old Phil Kessel on the fourth line? Yeah, put him with Spezza. See how he does. <laughs> Scoring 10 goals a year. Let's do it. <laughs> I, I, I want Phil Kessel on my team when his career is coming to an so end. So about that jersey. So when he comes back, Same. I'm wearing that. It's got it saved. Is this it? Yep. Alrighty. Number one. Morgan Riley, drafted fifth overall by the Toronto Maple Leafs, 2012. I think only like two guys we've said have been actually drafted by us, Riley and Kadri. So to me, that's it. Kind of pushes it over the edge. That does for too. Me. Yeah, you're, yeah. I, uh, yeah, he went back to junior his first year and then just right into the NHL and playing the prominent role because you know Fanuf and Riley and that's literally it we had at the time. So. He came in putting up 25, 30 points a year. Uh, He was mainly in that defensive role for a while, and it wasn't until two seasons ago where he got that 55-point year, and we all thought, okay, this is the year Moe's going to break out. He's got all the talent around him. I thought that was the breakout. I'm not even going to lie. I thought 55 was kind of like, okay, that's... for sure. Yeah. And then we felt like, oh, you'll get around the same next year, and you'll consistently do this. 72. 72. Okay. 20 goals. So there's just so much to his game. You know, he's got the defensive side down. Babs reamed that into him. I, I give Babcock so much credit for that. Mm-hmm. The first two years uh, he was here with Mo. And then you know, like the offensive game, it's just it's natural to him. Offensive guy in junior, 
he was one-dimensional apparently coming into the league, so he really he's really grown his game. He's only 25, 26 years old. It's a bold move putting him at number one, but uh, going forward, he's going to be a staple for the Leafs, and you're going to look back over time and think Morgan Riley, one of the better defensemen in Toronto Maple Leafs history, so I got him at one. I don't think it's far-fetched that you have him number one at all, actually. Um, I love Phil Kessel. I think he's an icon in this city. I think... I mean, yeah, we all have his jerseys, beloved, all that. But, man, like Morgan Riley, fifth overall in 2012. Again, 2012, you look back at that draft, it's a train wreck in itself. I'm not dis- discounting anyone in that draft. I'm just saying the results. They, the really? <laughs> Yakupov and Murray, like that's just not good at all. So the fact that Riley came to the Leafs and we got him, that's a gift in itself. How many players in Leafs history that you can remember are or have the right to potentially play a thousand games with the Leafs? For me, Matt Sundin, did he play a thousand games with the Leafs? Maybe just under a thousand games? To me, Morgan Riley is going to play a thousand games with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And for me, he might be going to he when it's all said and done, I'm not saying he's gonna be a Leaf forever. I want him to be, but I envision that and I can see him at the end of it, being a top five games played Leaf in all in all of its history. That's why, for me, Morgan Riley's number one. I got to throw in, too, just the way he carries himself, like similar to the way Tavares does. He's just an absolute leader. Like, yeah. Absolute leader. Like for me, that was my pick for captain because you look at his whole story being drafted by us and coming up with us and growing his game. Like For me, that was the perfect pick. It was, so, yeah. Like him for and Tavares, me, one, two. Like, that's, that's awesome stuff. I love it. It's just, yeah, like... Phil Kessel, again, he played 415. The fact that he's second, that's huge. And for you, he's number one. But so top two we got. Again, Morgan Riley's already played 500-plus, and that's insane. He's 26 years old. I, it, I think he's easily going to be number one all time. That's my opinion. I'm going to predict that right now. When, everything, when his career comes to an end, I'll say 37, 38 years old, you're going to be looking at Morgan Riley leading the Leafs franchise in games played. That is it's what I am going take. to say, but... Morgan Riley, I think, is here for the long haul. When his contract's up, just give him the world because it's Morgan damn Riley. But, man, we went, we did top 10, well, basically top 10 Leafs. Talked about, you know, Kuhlman and Blue Bull, and we, <laughs> we had to show him some love. But now we got to go to the ring, the, the ring. And this is a lot more controversial. This is where Chris is going to go on a bit of a rant. Top five, well, top 10, top 10 wrestlers of the decade. Now I want to actually start this list off. I don't want to. I don't want to put Pinello or Alino, you know, on the spot. I'll start it off. Number ten is CM Punk, wrestlers of the decade. Now here's the reason why he's number ten. His wrestling career basically ended in 2014, and 2010 he came, and a lot of people knew him. You know, 2008 he was a world heavyweight champion. 2009 he 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 led Jeff Hardy to leave WWE, and that was huge. One thing I got to mention, and that's all the credibility I need, Summer of Punk, 2011. The most exciting time for me that I can remember as a wrestling fan. You could ask this guy right here. 2010, this guy didn't watch a lot of wrestling. 2010, I didn't watch a lot of wrestling. 2011 comes, I'll say what, WrestleMania 27. That was a terrible WrestleMania. Absolutely awful. But guess what happened after that? The summer of punk. And what did that do? That became that made me become the wrestling fan I am today. 
So with that being said, that's number 10. He's one of the, he had one of the best runs I have ever seen. Summer of Punk, Money in the Bank match with John Cena. How many times do people talk about that? A million. How about his feud with Brock Lesnar in 2013? How about his WrestleMania match, the one he didn't want to have with The Undertaker? One of Undertaker's best matches. Can you name an Undertaker match after that match that is decent or watchable? All in a cell with Triple H. No. <laughs> no. I'll say no. So all of that being said, the way that CM Punk went out, it was flat out disappointing. And the, the craziest thing is they never went all in with CM Punk. So if you imagine they went all in with him, he would be way higher on this list. Number 10 for me. You want to go? <laughs> yeah. I got CM Punk at 10 as well. There it Pretty is. Pretty much everything you said. And the reason why, too, a lot of people on Twitter, they have this thing where – a guy was wrestling for like two years and let's put him as a wrestler of the decade you gotta have a stricter criteria yeah with that. what is that like where were you in 2010 where were you in 2019 if you were wrestling in a bingo hall in 2010 to 2012 you're not in my top 10 list seth rollins and uh <laughs> like i can't have a guy in, as a wrestler of a decade and you go where were you in 2010 and you go look on youtube and you're wrestling in ring of honor in front of 25 people like you gotta have it more strict gotta build on that maybe if you're good build a run in 2020 and maybe we're talking about you in the next decade and you'd be a good in-ring technician but yeah CM Punk number 10 <laughs> I have three honorable mentions before I get into number 10 no explanation on any of them Randy Orton Roman Reigns Hiroshi Tanahashi there it is now to start number 10 CM Punk we're beauties <laughs> good start uh, yeah, I don't really have much to add to this. Uh, it's really just the short sample size, but when you look over the last four years and what he's done, it's some of the best matches of the decade have come from early on, and it's because of CM Punk. Number nine, let's go. Number nine for me is, it's kind of not fair. I mean, this guy says Roman Reigns. Is it, okay, don't get mad at me. I put the shield in it at number nine. And the reason being, I know it's not fair, there's three guys in it. But this faction is probably, for me, the best of all time, and that's saying a lot. Um, arguably, these three individual beauticians shape the landscape of the WWE for the future and well well on into the future. I mean, Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins, they're the present and they're the future still. And I'm going to say they're still the future because they're, what, 33, 34? They still have at least another decade in them, I can see, so... It's really it really sucks with what happened with Dean Ambrose with the Shield and he he you know departured, but man like Dean Ambrose unreal matches his resume is incredible Roman Reigns his resume is incredible Seth Rollins I know Alino you don't like him his resume is incredible all three of these guys they come in the debut was literally perfect you attack Ryback you cost them CM Punk retains his WWE title in the Triple Threat. They make a name for themselves. They continue to attack the top baby faces. They went from being the most hated faction to the most loved in within maybe two, three years. Do you remember that program with the Wyatt family? How magical was that? The Shield versus the Wyatt family. I could just say all so many good things about this, even when it was the Shield triple threat. I know we never got that match at WrestleMania, but goddamn, we got it at Battleground, and it was unreal. The Shield's number nine. My number nine? The Miz. Oh, okay. Started off 2010, United States champion, main evented WrestleMania against John Cena and beat John Cena. 
main event in Survivor Series that year, the Rock's return match when he teamed with Cena. Opponent, The Miz and R-Truth. So The Miz was a part of The Rock's return. And uh, a big part of what led to after that. Every year after that, he had some slow moments, but it's okay. Comes back, Intercontinental Championship makes that relevant. Most talked about mid-card title, uh, considering where that was, because nobody even cared about it. And he just continues to evolve every single year. If I go and look back at wrestlers from that time, every single year of the decade, you can go and type in a Miz program, Miz feud, and a match. So he's been involved throughout the decade with multiple guys, and he's made it work. So he's my number nine. You guys might kill me for this one. I have him pretty low. But number nine, Brock Lesnar. It's really hard to argue uh, the like the shock factor. There are very few guys in wrestling when when they show up, they have that kind of reaction. Brock's one of the only few guys in the business that can still get that reaction. It, it really doesn't matter what he's involved in. He's a natural-born star. He's got everything to a WWE superstar that you imagine. Um, yeah, his feuds with Punk, uh, Triple H... He made them work. Like the match with Mania with Triple H was probably one of my favorite game matches since like the 2010 game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's pretty much beaten everyone. The stuff with Brian, Balor, Styles, Rollins. You go down the list, he's over time, he's taken on everyone. There are very few duds in between when you think about it. I think about the Strowman match that didn't really deliver. There's Yeah, there's only been a couple. The only like... There are people out there that are saying the part-time schedule and all that. That's the only like controversial thing. But again, we've said it so many times on here. That's what makes Brock Lesnar Brock Lesnar. So you could argue he's number one, really. I have him at nine, just for preference. You but, could, uh, you could, yeah. Yeah, Lesnar's absolutely on this list. Uh, my number eight is uh, a lot of people. Now, you're thinking Brock may be too low. Kenny Omega is number eight for me in the 2010s. I didn't know a lot about him maybe like five years ago, but like – the more I watch him, the more you could easily argue he's the greatest wrestler on the planet. And he has been, I'd say, for the last three straight years. And PW Insider loves Kenny Omega. They love the cleaner. I feel like he got a lot more mainstream traction, you know, in New Japan when he had those matches with Okada. And they were absolutely. When Dave Meltzer gives you a six star, that's saying something. So he's absolutely tremendous uh we all know his aew run right now is a little underwhelming but give this guy some time i think they're uh, grooming him to be one of the top faces and one of the main priorities but what he did in new japan is just monumental not even for him but for the company in itself i feel like when you think of new japan you think of guys like kenny omega you think of guys like okada you think of guys like tanahashi you think of guys like that but what i've seen from kenny omega he has to be on this list for me. I, I'm actually surprised he's lower than I, – I think when I watch Kenny Omega, to me, he's no less than fifth. When I look at in-ring quality, this guy, to me, easily up there for wrestling. But the guys before him on this list, they just have a little more of an aura, a little more of a legacy. So until Kenny Omega builds that legacy a little more, he will be higher on the list. And he will be in the 2020s for still best wrestlers of the decade. So Kenny Omega right now for me is number eight. I got number eight, Daniel Bryan. Uh, another thing, like with that criteria, like he started the decade, NXT, FCW, and then he won the title, that whole Yes movement that was amazing, his programs with Kane, and then he was injured a lot. So I can't really give him – I would have him a lot higher if he was active for more than – 
like 70 80 percent of the decade but there was at least close to four years he missed with injuries and retirement so that's why i'm at number eight but in-ring work like you said about kenny omega he's just amazing so number eight for me number eight seth rollins have him (laughs) over brock so don't kill me for that one but uh yeah he started off in ring of honor which (laughs) is fucking hilarious to look back on ring of honor champion so he ended that on a high at least then came over to FCW to wrestle in front of less people. Him and him and Dean in Florida down there, tearing it up. And then yeah, the Shield is uh, obviously when it took off, and the three of them just kind of took over for the next uh, two, three years or so. The stuff with Evolution and the Wyatt family—they were they were all over the place. And then the you G- could easily argue that they yeah. are the 2010s yeah, if real. you think about it. Like 2012 to now, it's been the Roman and Rollins. That's why I don't uh, I don't have a problem with. You having them as... The Shield? Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, and then the dramatic breakup, and then Seth obviously taking off. And at the time, we're like... Oh, I thought any, he was the future. Any of these guys, like, we don't know if it's Dean because he's the mouthpiece, or Roman for fucking obvious reasons, and then... He looks know, like a god. <laughs> so, like, any one of these guys can turn and then get that spot, and then it was Seth, and then he, <laughs> the authority stuff was hilarious. Just such a cringy little dick. And he was so, he's so good at it, he's better suited as a heel uh just you know the matches with brock and cena stand out over the years he's had a lot of quality matches um owens chemistry with reigns a lot of good stuff there's obviously a lot to improve on but i look at the last 10 years the body of work i i gotta mention him so yeah seth rollins number eight number seven randy orton and uh yeah, he's got to be on this list. I had to put him somehow. I mean, he has been around since 2002. But again, he started the decade turning on Legacy. And uh, that was huge. Legacy was arguably one of the biggest things uh, to start the decade. Again, didn't watch a lot in 2010, but I was really invested in the Legacy faction with Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase. Again, I saw those two as the future of the business. And Ted DiBiase, unfortunately, went another route. But Cody Rhodes... Uh, he was actually one of my honorable mentions on this list. He didn't make uh, the top ten, but he is an honorable mention. But Randy Orton, man, we all know we all, we all know who he is. RKO out of nowhere. Um, his feud with Christian in 2011 to me arguably might be one of his best feuds of all time. Um, I know people will probably get upset with me when they hear me say that, but just go back and watch it if you uh, if you don't agree with me. It was literally three straight months of unreal stuff. And I've never seen Christian more more motivated in my life. So for me, that was unreal. All his stuff with Daniel Bryan in 2013 was amazing. We were tired at that. Well, I mean, at that time, I was tired of seeing Randy win. And uh, yeah, and then all of a sudden, you know, he was a part of the authority. A lot of people were saying he was really bland, really stale, which he was at parts in this decade. But for me, the thing that put him over the top was that program against Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. That, to me, was... I've never been more excited for a Randy Orton match in my life. When I saw Randy Orton versus Brock Lesnar and the the outcome, it was very underwhelming. But again, guess what? The year after that, he won the Royal Rumble. And then he beat Bray Wyatt to become an 11-time WWE champion. So he's got the legacy, he's got the aura, and he's the man of, of the 2010s. He's been there for quite some time. You have to have Randy Orton on this list. He's number seven for me. My number seven, the cleaner, Kenny Omega. Again, like started it off um, making his way up to independence and then New Japan Pro Wrestling. Took off. He's like credited, I think, with him and Okada. You can 
make the argument those two guys attracted talent from around the world and Kenny Omega being so good attracted Chris Jericho to want to go there just to work with him so that just speaks on how good he is everywhere in all aspects of it what he did with the Bullet Club then everything he's done all the hype the publicity goes to AEW he's probably their biggest signing after Jericho so for them to build a company around this guy they have high hopes for and everything he's done so he's the number seven for me Number seven, I got Charlotte, my only female on this list. Um, came in with all the buzz in the world with uh, your dad being Ric Flair. A lot to live up to. And she's definitely did that in her short time since uh, debuting late 2013, 2014? 14. She, uh, yeah, 2014, she won the NXT title. Yep. Debuted in 13. So uh, actually in NXT right away with Natalia for the NXT title. Yeah. And uh, she beat, I think... Becky, Bliss, and Natalia to win that. Yeah, yeah and then, you know, the series with Natalia and the, the Iron Man match when they had Bret and Outstanding. Nage in NXT when NXT was still, like, kind of fresh and no one knew about it. So you can kind of tell there was potential there. We didn't really know how she was going to take off or what they do, and she just exploded through the roof, and she is the – she's a bona fide superstar, and that's someone you build your division around. Yeah. And everything she's done from 2014 and on, she's been the focal point of everything she's touched, so – I gotta I got have Charlotte here, yeah, number seven. Yeah, and my number six is Brock Lesnar. Um, Brock Lesnar, to me, again, like you said, like you had him at, what, eight, nine? He could easily be number one. Um, coming back in 2012, a lot of people were, they were, they were head-scratching, you know, they're like, okay, he was a UFC champion, let's see if he can transition back to his old roots, and he flat-out did not disappoint. I mean, the first match he had with John Cena was absolutely tremendous. It, for me, it actually... I remember going back and watching it the first time. I was not I was not happy because John Cena won, but I'm looking back at it now, and that just it, the win makes sense. If you think about it from a long term standpoint, that awakened the beast in Brock Lesnar. That defeat to John Cena at Extreme Rules in 2012, it just. You remember what happened after when he faced John Cena the next time when he squashed him SummerSlam. Oof. So I could just go on and on about the matches he's had. I mean, against Finn Balor at the Rumble, AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan. The triple threat with Rollins and Cena was absolutely incredible. One of my favorite triple threat matches of all time. Again, I'm stuck here saying the Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar match at WrestleMania 31 was absolutely entertaining as hell. Going into it, very underwhelming, but coming out of it, a tremendous success. The only thing that I can kind of not agree with with Brock Lesnar's tenor since 2012 is the universal title situation the only thing I can kind of look back on and say I would have done that a little differently but everything else he's done he's knocked it right out of the park and uh even with the money in the bank win just didn't anticipate that and he would he's been surprising me still in 2019 going into 2020 I hope he still surprises me Brock Lesnar's number six he could easily be number one and again not a lot of guys have an aura and a legendary type vibe that Brock Lesnar does. I.e. example, I didn't even bring it up. I'm an idiot for saying it. He beat the streak. So in, <laughs> that in itself deserves to be on this list. Brock Lesnar, number six. I was thinking about this list, and I didn't include any women on it, so my bad. But just the honorable mention there, Charlotte, number one easily. Yeah. Uh, if you just look at it. Like for women, yeah. You look at the Divas uh, matches in 2010 to – 2014 they were Bella I mean Nikki Bella's a legend come on those uh matches between those two and those programs and then Charlotte comes along and changes a whole 
dynamic of it. So if there was a list where I included both, she'd definitely be a lot higher. You got to give Beth Phoenix and Michelle McCool some yeah. love, though. Honorable mention. Yeah. <laughs> but my uh, number six, John Cena. Yeah. Started the decade, the yeah. uh, program with The Rock. Uh, built it heavily. Two back-to-back main events at WrestleMania. Three, actually, if you include The Miz. And then uh, 16-time world champion in this decade. Amazing matches with AJ Styles. Amazing. And uh, that, of course, Brock and Seth. That match was great. Just look what he phased out a little bit. So I had him probably higher. The movie roles brings your ranking down. You got to be active. I'm not gonna lie to you. I did. I didn't. I, he's not even on my list. I feel like I should have had him on the list. But um, yeah, John Cena to me just did not make the list. He didn't make the cut. But uh, yeah, uh, that's it. So <laughs> now I have the pressure on Pinel. Let's see. <laughs> Number six, Kenny Omega. Little technician for such a long time. Good for him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's working the indies all, all around the world for so long. Didn't really find a home until New Japan. Him and Bushi were the hottest tag team in the world at one point, and then he really took off. You guys said it before, leader of Bullet Club. He became the cleaner, and him and the Young Bucks were rolling there, and you know the Golden Elite was born, and just so much going on with Kenny and. That was all before the five, six, seven star fucking thing. Yeah, well, all of those matches with uh, Okada. Okada and Tanahashi and Jericho and just so much going on there. So, yeah, there's still a lot to give there. He's ending the decade on a nice note with AEW. So, uh, yeah, Kenny Omega, number six. Number five, Charlotte Flair. And I have to have her on this list because, again, the women's evolution was huge in itself. And she was the headliner of that. And she's already a 10 time. Well, excuse my French, soon to be 10-time women's champ. She's a nine-time. And then, so she's a nine-time women's champ, a one-time Divas champ, and a one-time NXT champ. She has basically done it all. She has won everything. She is a bona fide superstar. About a year and a half ago, I probably would have had her top three wrestlers in WWE. She's that consistent. She's that good. She also won match of the year, by the way, at the Evolution pay-per-view 2018 women's last man standing match between Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. If you guys haven't watched that, please go watch it. It's an absolute treat and it's an absolute must because women's wrestling to me would not be as high and as important as it is now if you don't have Charlotte Flair. Charlotte Flair to me is literally, when it, when it's all said and done, you could even argue, and this is kind of far-fetched for me to say, but you can argue that she should be on the Mount Rushmore's of, of any wrestling she should be on it because, again, to me, she is the pillar of women's wrestling. That's just my opinion. You could say it's Tessa Blanchard. You could say it's Io Shirai. She's maybe not the best in-ring technician in the world. But when I look at and I bring everything together, Charlotte Flair is the number one woman in all of professional wrestling. So with that being said, number five on my list of best wrestlers of the decade. Number five for me, Seth Rollins found a way back because I did go with the Shield as a group. Much like you did, because ah, there it is. when you look at the decade, although they did split up, there was always a reunion with the Shield at always. some point in between. So when Roman was with them and he broke out, wins a Royal Rumble, goes on, everyone saw what happened with him. Uh, four straight WrestleMania main events, beats the Undertaker in the main event at WrestleMania. Even though it wasn't the streak, he still did the job. Then they go back with uh, Seth Rollins, first overall pick in the draft. 
the first one. Then they did that brand split. Dean Ambrose, WWE champion, when they had that battleground. So they had everything with these guys built as a shield. Even though they were singles competitors, they were built as a unit and long-term storyline. So when they had that reunion again, tag team champs, and then uh, the turn happened. Roman obviously went out, uh, leukemia, but then Dean Ambrose left. He's now on AEW as a focal point, one of their big stars. So I got the shield number five. Number five, I got Kazuchika Okada, the golden boy of New Japan Pro Wrestling, who was first shoved into that role and fans weren't really having it at first, but it did not take long for them to realize, oh my God, this guy's carrying the company for the next 10 years. He's still only 31 or 32 years old. Still a lot of time left. He said so many five-star classics. He's, he's a, a six-time IWGP champion. He's really untouchable over there, and no one has even come close. So he's basically the John Cena of New Japan. Nothing is changing anytime soon. Will Ospreay might give him a run for his money someday, but he will. Yeah. for right now, Kazuchika Okada is one of the best wrestlers ever. And I got him at number five. Yeah, number four, Kazuchika, whatever his name is. <laughs> Okada is number four, and... He is the king of overseas. That's what I call him, the king of overseas. I think when you look and you think of New Japan wrestling, I think of Okada. I mean, Omega's in that, Osprey's in that, Tanahashi's in that. Even, you know, Jay White is starting to make a name there in in New Japan. But he is your longest reigning IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. He held it, I think, for like two years, put on consistent. And I'm I'm not even talking about good matches. I'm talking about consistent classics. No one really does that, and Okada is one of those guys. You could put him on that list. He's put on Unreal Match with Tanahashi, Okada, White, anybody, if you think about it. He came in, I'm pretty sure, at like, I think he debuted in 2003 or 2002. He was very, very young, and again, what'd you say? He's 31, 32 years old. He's just, he, yeah, he's the John Cena of New Japan Pro Wrestling, and arguably, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. You got to put him on this list. Number should four. have. Uh, should, he was. He was basically taking Shinsuke's spot. Yeah. Which. Yeah. The, yeah. Like, yeah. So much pressure at that time because Shinsuke was like basically what Okada is doing now. Well, Nakamura was what like. Would you say Okada's star level now is like what Nakamura was? What like 2011, 2012? You can argue it, but Shinsuke was like. Shinsuke was their superstar for a while. Yeah. And uh, he was basically taking his spot because he had the NXT deal. So a lot of shoes to fill. And, yeah, he really he did. did he did. Yeah, I think he's better than Nakamura as an overall wrestler. That's my opinion. Okada's number four. And if you see what he did, TNA, starting off the decade oh, I on that. And he rebounded <laughs> and had that kind of career. Guys, Outstanding. Outstanding. Number four. Yeah, so for me, it's kind of tough because I kind of had Okada in the list. But when you look at it, the North American market would if you were to come into AEW or something WWE I think he'd be a bigger star overall but him and um, not Okada Omega and Okada like seven for me would be more of a tie considering their body of work but for me number four Brock Lesnar yeah coming in 2012 so he's active for most of the decade from 2012 on uh, big matches with John Cena Universal Champ WWE Champ ends the streak most shocking moment of the decade. Easily. And then just consistently and uh, having good matches with the smaller guys like Finn Balor, Ray, like we saw. I didn't think that was going to be a match that that was. Seth Rollins puts him over at SummerSlam. And AJ Styles, probably one of the another match of the decade. So 
Brock's been consistent, and as long as they keep rolling with it and don't put him in the world title uh, picture, maybe in the next decade. 2020s, as his career winds down, might be seeing Brock Lesnar again in the top ten. When you make those lists, it's hard for him to be out of it, regardless of the years. Like, it's, <laughs> it's just it's hard. And you got to remember, Brock Lesnar, a lot of the times, at least recently, he has you could tell he has not wanted to be in the programs he's been put in. Like, do you really? You're telling me he wanted to be in that program for six months with Goldberg? No. Like you, you're telling me he wanted to face Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 34? No, yeah, probably their match, not. Though Goldberg Lesnar, they made up for it all those oh, years yeah. later. <laughs> they did God. at WrestleMania the little leap <laughs> going for the spear. That's all I needed. Yeah. Oh, it's me. It's okay. you. Number four, Daniel Bryan, who started off the decade as a good little mid Carter. Just I've said this so many times. I feel like I, actually. I feel like I fucked up with not putting John Cena on this list. <laughs> I think you did. <laughs> You might hear his name. But, yeah, Daniel Bryan, number four, U.S. title. He was floating around on the mid-card for a little while. He, you know, the Nexus stuff mainly to kick off the decade. And then really it was the the John Cena stuff that really took over and the Yes movement. And uh, I, I think out of all the wrestlers here, Bryan has been my favorite story when you look back on his career. Just uh, arguably the best technical wrestler ever. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the, he had the IC title Mania 31 that was a little after the buzz like he's the titles he's had everything but it's really just about his moments and the way he, he goes about his yeah. business like the match with Cena and then coming back after injury was probably that's what brings it up for me yeah. else I probably would have had him where Alino had him at like 8 or 9 so coming back and then the heel turn and then all the stuff with oh, yeah, that was amazing like the Miz and like just seeing how he can still be a heel and still be like one of the best characters, even being like away for three years, he's still that top guy. Like, I love Daniel Bryan. The guy is amazing. He deserves to be on this list. Doesn't matter where. Oh, and he and yeah, wrestler and Daniel Bryan, you have to have him in that. Like, there's just so like, just the last few months have impressed me the most. Uh, even looking back on his his entire career here. Just, it's so motivational coming up like three years. It's not like just the basic injury and, oh, he'll come back after he's cleared. Like he was gone for a long fucking time and he came back right into that moment. His first match was against AJ Styles on SmackDown. It was a five-star match. It was like nothing happened. And he just, yeah. So Daniel Bryan, he's made the top five for me. No problem. So number three for me is Chris Jericho. It's pretty obvious. This guy came into WWE 20. 20- was it 2012 um i know 2010 he was there 2011 majority was not there i'm pretty sure he wasn't there actually at all actually 2011 he wasn't there 2012 he came back this whole aura this mysterious vibe how he was you remember you know he'd come out he wouldn't talk and everyone's like why are you not talking you're chris jericho you're one of the best on the mic of all time he's a favorite in the rumble he loses he generates outstanding heat on his way to wrestlemania to face cm punk in one of the greatest wwe title matches i've seen at wrestlemania history adding the fact that he every time he feuded with cm punk it felt fresh it felt different and that's just the legacy of chris jericho every time he comes back it's fresh it's different and that's why he is so far up on this list for me my favorite chris jericho if it's not right now it was the list in 2016 2017 Arguably should have won that Royal Rumble and should have, in my eyes, main evented WrestleMania with Kevin Owens. It's a shame it was for the U.S. title and they obviously went with Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, but that's what's going to sell the seats. 
But Chris Jericho, the king of inventing himself, he was on the list in the in the best wrestlers of the 2000s. He's on the list best wrestlers of 2010s. Number three on my list, easily. If he wasn't around, if he was around in 2011, 2013, if he wasn't flip flopping and you know with Fozzie, he'd probably be number one. But for me right now, he's number three. Keep going as the first AEW champ. He even went to New Japan, was the cleaner. Great matchup with Omega and Okada and all those guys. He was the IG, what was he, the Intercontinental Champion there. Um, the Painmaker, all these different names. I can just keep going on and on, but I know you guys have a little more to add. Jericho, number three on my list. Number three for me, Randy Orton. Just consistent. The one guy that you look at, like a John Cena, just always there, always you can count on. I think he's way better than Cena. Just in the ring, everything you can do, even though Cena not taking anything away. But Orton, when you look at the guys in 2010, main event scene, and 2019, you can still have that same type of performance. is amazing. And world title pictures, World Rumble, uh, World Championships. He won the um, undisputed title when they brought that back. He was a first holder of that when he beat Cena. And I hated TLC. him at that time. Holy shit. I hated That's him That's why for me, TLC Randy Orton, number three. Alrighty. Number three, sticking with the theme, I guess. I got John Cena. Who I cannot fucking believe I have this high, but uh, I went back on his time here. And uh, I think a good chunk of his in-ring work came from like 2013 and on. When you really think about it, like 2014-15 was more of the, okay, I'm going to take it easy a little bit and I'll like do my job to elevate guys because I didn't really do a whole lot of that before. So like when he was having matches with Cesaro and Owens and Rollins, I'm like, this is my favorite version of Cena and this is the absolute peak of his career. And then like the stuff with Styles later on, and he just he's a part timer now, so he'll pop in and out. The stuff with Roman Reigns and it was fun. Like it's, he's not here for a long time, but whenever he's in the ring, and uh, you remember him and Reigns going back and forth, and that was the most talked about thing in wrestling. It's special, yeah. He's special. So kind of, it's it's kind of like Lesnar when he comes up. He has that aura. Cena's will always have that aura. So I don't think anyone's made more merchandise sales. So you see his face everywhere. <laughs> you, you, I don't know how you left him out, but I got John Cena yeah, number three. Yeah, I left I left John Cena out. Uh, it was <laughs> tough. I mean, it was it was between John Cena and CM Punk and you are you know who I'm picking I'm picking CM Punk any day <laughs> number 2 for me is Daniel Bryan um, he I have no words for him his the elevation the level of wrestling everything that he has done 2010 he comes in he is being aligned with Brie Bella and all these two on NXT he made it work with the Miz he made it work 2011 comes we don't really know what he is. Is he a heel? Is he a face? They, they turned him heel. He became the world heavyweight champion just like that in 2011. So they knew that there was something special there. I knew for a fact that when he won the Money in the Bank briefcase in 2011, I knew there was something to give here. And of course, I was not wrong. 2012 comes. He makes everything tur- turn to gold. Team hell no. I never thought that would work. One of the best things going. And then, of course, bam. The Yes Movement becomes a thing. He beats John Cena at SummerSlam. That, to me, was one of the biggest moments I, I've ever seen from a wrestler because that buildup for that match, they were – do you remember that Raw when they were hinting at turning Daniel Bryan heel against Cena? They were He was slapping Cena in the face, and I'm like, no, please, don't turn him heel here because 
if he were to turn heel, the moment wouldn't be as important. When he beat John Cena with that running knee, it was just a moment. Even, you know, we could talk about the, the cash-in with Randy, but just that moment in general, I'll never forget. That's a big moment of Daniel Bryan's career. It made the yes moment that even more important. And then, of course, his back, we all think he's done. He comes back and arguably has the best run of his career against Kofi Kingston. Elevating a guy like Kofi Kingston in the main event of WrestleMania is very hard to do, especially when you're an African-American talent. doesn't come around that often. And then, of course, now rejuvenated and arguably the best face on SmackDown taking on The Fiend. This guy can do it all. Number two on my list. Not only that, too. He got everyone to hate him. Hate During him. his buildup with Kofi's. That's it. For people, everyone still cheered him a bit, but that program with Kofi, he would go to the ring, everyone's cheering a little bit, but then once Kofi comes out, they're all booing Daniel Bryan. So that's a skill that not a lot of people have there. Uh, wish more of them had it, but they don't. But uh, number two for me, Chris Jericho. This whole decade of reinventing himself. In 2010, he's a world champion going into WrestleMania against Edge. And then the end of the decade, he's an AEW world champion for That's a startup crazy. company. And everything he's done, the list of Jericho, the whole feud with Kevin Owens, the whole feud with CM Punk, New Japan Pro Wrestling, he's a pain maker and uh, just ends up being one of their highest uh, attended event when he faced Omega and then go say AEW and the rest is history. So if you're thinking of this decade, you have to think of Chris Jericho. Yeah. Number two, AJ Styles. You could argue he's the best wrestler, best in-ring performer of our generation. He gets the Shawn Michaels comparisons. But uh, it's hard to believe at the start of the decade, he was just scraping by in TNA when they were going downhill. So it's a good fucking thing he got out of there. Um yeah, he went, to, he went to New Japan after and then took off again as the leader of Bullet Club, uh, taking over from Finn Balor over there, Prince Devitt. So that's it was still really fresh at the time, and AJ still... He'll be in the 2020s for sure on that list. Finn Balor will be on that yeah, So I'll promise. His style, he's really faced everyone in the world. He's wrestled everywhere in the world, and then he comes to WWE. Everyone thinks, like, oh, this, you know, he's going to take it easy now. It's a nice little vacation, and nope, WWE champion, three-time. He's the main guy. SmackDown face that runs the place no one is carrying it like aj styles the guy is in his 40s he's still putting on classic matches you gotta love him i got him at two you gotta love him he is my wrestler of the decade aj styles is my wrestler of the decade if you look back and you look everywhere he's gone tna roh new japan triple a wrestle one wherever he's gone it's been amazing and uh when he made his debut it's crazy he's number one because if you were to go by the WWE list, he's been with WWE for literally like three years. So it's hilarious. But, man, I'll never forget. He came to WWE in 2016, and I was following him religiously. Pretty pretty well-known guy. He comes in the Royal Rumble, and I knew right away. As soon as the reaction he got, he was the hottest free agent. John Cena was teasing it on his Instagram and then, of course, the magic happened. He came to WWE, aligns himself with Chris Jericho, has a WWE WrestleMania match with Chris Jericho. I never thought I would say that. Jericho, he puts Jericho over, <laughs> which was to me the most mind-boggling. I mean, now that you're looking at it, maybe not because he is the AEW champion. But at the time, it was pretty damn hilarious because Chris Jericho put Fandango once upon a time over at WrestleMania. But... 
everything that AJ Styles has done, basically what Pinello just said, you know, with his, you know, his feud with Roman Reigns uh, in 2016 when he was fresh off the heel turn, beat up John Cena. <laughs> um, and then, you know, he beat Dean Ambrose to become the WWE champion. And then, of course, you know, he faced Brock. Uh, then, of course, he was our savior and he beat Jinder Mahal to win the oh, WWE title because we needed that change. Just everything that AJ Styles has done, you know, he's elevated, you know, teams like the Usos over the years, Roman Reigns, the Daniel Bryans as well. So AJ Styles, he's putting everybody over. He even put Ricochet over earlier on in the year. AJ Styles for me, he's that type of guy that he could put guys over and he could also still win matches pretty handily. And yeah, he's just an absolute legend. He will be on the list probably in the 2020s, which is hilarious. For me, he is the Shawn Michaels of this generation. He is the number one wrestler. My number one, also the phenomenal AJ Styles, 2010 TNA champion, world champion. With Ric Flair? Ric Flair. Oh, my God. The Fortune Stable. uh, With with Storm Rude. Who else was in that? Uh, Oh, Kazarian was in there. Bobby Rude, James Storm. Beer money. Yeah. So you can't say enough about AJ. Everywhere he's gone this decade. Then he even reinvented himself in TNA, that feud with Kurt Angle. He comes out the darker AJ Styles Turned made that work, and uh, then after the aces and eights bullshit that they had over there, made that work. Wins a world title, dips from the company because their stupid management decided, oh, let's let AJ walk. We don't want to pay him. Goes to New Japan, Ring of Honor, and you know what he does in New Japan? Gold, right everything. There. Everything goes to WWE. The even though they're in Orlando and that was like TNA territory, he still got a huge reaction from a WWE fan base. And then wins a world title there. Champ that runs a camp, face that runs a place, best of the decade. And uh, he followed Bret Hart's advice. He needs to dump that little bush league in TNA and go to the big time. <laughs> there it is. And he did. Number one, Chris Jericho. There it is. <laughs> yeah, it was either or. It was yeah, very tough. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say it was tough. <laughs> but uh, the, the, the in-ring work, you can argue, has taken a dip. Honestly, zero relevance to me. Yeah. You look at he just constantly changes it up. Uh, the list was one of my favorite Jerichos. The suit and tie is probably my favorite one. I'm cheesed that just missed the yeah, 2010s. Oh, the 08, yeah. Or else they would have been a shoo-in for number one, but still made it anyways. Uh, the list was amazing. The stuff with, uh, going to New Japan. When you look at Jericho, there was a time where you thought he'd be a WWE lifer. And then when he left and did what was doing the stuff in Japan, it was just blowing my fucking mind. And him and Okada and the, the pain maker was just, it's amazing. He keeps it fresh. It doesn't matter what he's doing. People will always pay attention. He started off as world champion, like you said before, and he's ending it as AEW champion. And everyone is, uh, yeah, everyone's all in on Chris Jericho. Even at almost 50 years old, he's still the hottest thing going right now. I feel like he's the longest tenured wrestler of all time. Like can some years. can someone yeah can someone like look that up? I, it's probably Ric Flair, but I mean like Undertaker. Jericho, Jericho yeah, and Undertaker, those guys have been been going for a long time. But yeah, Jericho is a legend. I don't have Cena on the list, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, uh, it was uh, for me. It was for me three to one was hard. Jericho, Brian, and AJ all just absolutely changed the game for me. They changed it. I wanted to throw Will Osprey in there, even as an honorable mention. Yeah. He changed the game for New Japan completely. Completely, completely changed the game for that. <laughs> changed the game Even for some that. Some mid Carter recognition. Give yeah, some love I, to Matt Hardy. <laughs> version. You one. know who I was actually going to give love to? You guys may laugh, 
but Sheamus, he's been yeah. everywhere this decade. He's so, a grinder. So kind of like what you – a lot of things you said with The Miz, that's me with, with Sheamus, exactly. So. Kofi, another one, The New Day. Damn, yeah, The New Day could could be in that, but – 2014 they started. Yeah. Yeah. You would have to go down a real list, like on <laughs> Wikipedia, to see just – I forgot some of the guys that were even wrestling for WWE. Cody Rhodes should probably be on the list. He yeah. started a damn company himself. Yeah. yeah. He's should been be everywhere on. too. Yeah. So, but he's on the list. It's, it was tough. I had to put Charlotte on it. Had to. Yeah. I just missed that. <laughs> yeah. That's it for this week. Next week, we will do top 10 athletes in the NBA of this decade. 2010, 2019, top NBA players. Should be fun. And it's going to be very controversial. Take care, guys.